0: Good morning. My name is John Rotillo and along with my wife Tiffany, we have the pleasure of leading the Long Island region of the New York City Church, and I have the honor this morning of preaching to you our concluding sermon for our series, Jesus Said. And we're going to be reading from Luke 13 this morning, where Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Now, I've got to be honest with you from the beginning, I struggle a little bit with this idea of it being a narrow door, right? Why does it have to be narrow? I wish it could be wide and that everybody could come on in, and I'm sure that's what you wish, too. But unfortunately, Jesus says here that it's not that way, that that's not reality, actually, despite what our Christian society around us may think, right? It's a narrow door, Jesus says, and it's got some consequences, consequences that we need to be aware of and warnings that come with his explanation here. And so today we're going to read from Luke 13 about a man who asked Jesus about all of this and how Jesus responded. Let's look in Luke 13 in verse 22. It says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. You know, Jesus here is traveling down to Jerusalem and and he's kind of teaching from town to town as it explains here. And he's joined by other Jews who are journeying with him to Jerusalem. And he's asked if only a few were going to be saved, right? And it seems like a good question, an important question, that'd be worth discussing. But Jesus teaches here that we need to make every effort to enter into eternal life through the narrow door. He says that many will try to enter, but not be able to. And while the house will be filled with people from all over... Many who expected to be let in actually won't be. And they'll be locked outside once God, who is the owner of the house in his example here, gets up to shut the door. He warns that although they'll claim that they knew him and they even ate with him and were familiar with him, the owner of the house will say, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. And this particular message right here that Jesus is preaching to the Jews around him and really who who Luke is is sharing with the outsiders in his gospel kind of the audience of his gospel there's a unique message there that it doesn't matter who you are right for the Jews that was discouraging to hear for the outsiders in, in Luke's audience that was encouraging to hear because they weren't really the people of God for so many years but here Jesus is teaching us another lesson too You know, the truth is that anybody who believes in God exists in really one of three states, right? Either you believe in God and kind of know that you're not really living the life that you're supposed to be living, right? That's one possibility. Another is that you believe in God and, and you really understand and have a relationship with God and have studied the scriptures and are doing your best to make every effort, like Jesus talks about here, to enter into the narrow door. But then there's a third possibility. Right. The third possibility for someone who believes in God is believing that you're on the right path when really you're not. Right. Believing that you are going to make it through that narrow door when really Jesus says here you're deceived and are not. And perhaps that's the scariest condition. Right? Perhaps that's even the most common condition for believers of God in Christian America today. And really it was the path that I was on. For most of my life. And the path that these Jews that Jesus is talking to here were on, right? Thinking they were the people of God, that they were gonna be surely let in. But they actually weren't, because they weren't living their life in line with God's will. And in all of these scenarios, in all three of these scenarios, Jesus' answer to those groups of people is the same, right? It's make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That's Jesus' point he's trying to make. And that's our message this morning that we all need to hear, whatever scenario you find yourself in this morning. I've got to be honest, when I was reading this scripture and praying and studying this passage for this message, my initial thoughts were, you know, maybe like many of you, wow, this is heavy, <laughs> right? Man, this is intense. This is heavy. And it is. It's a strong warning. From Jesus that we shouldn't take lightly, but there's also an inspiring message here, and it's that Jesus wants us to enter through the narrow door, and that's our first point this morning. Point number one is make every effort because Jesus wants you. Make every effort because Jesus wants you. When I was a student in the campus ministry, uh, one of my campus ministers whose name I won't mention. Uh, or at least try not to mention in this story, he invited me over to his new apartment. And I knew he lived in a duplex kind of across town. And and so I went and he said, yeah, just come on in. The door's open or the door's unlocked. You can walk in, I'm here. Uh, It's the door on the right. And I knew that you know, he lived there with two of the other brothers from the campus ministry. And there were two brothers who I didn't know from the singles ministry who lived in the apartment. So I, I showed up at the house and sure enough, just like he said, I turned that right door and it opened right up and I walked in to his new apartment but I noticed it was quiet and there was no brother campus minister to be found anywhere in the room and so I kind of took a few steps in I looked around somebody walked from from one room to the other and we kind of made eye contact from down the hall and he you know kind of looked at me and I looked at him and assumed okay it's probably one of the single guys I don't know and I threw him a head nod and he kind of looked confused and threw one back at me And, and I walked in and sat down on the couch in the living room and I texted Steve. Oh, there you go. I said his name. That's okay. I I texted him. I said, where are you, man? And then I I tried to call him. He didn't respond. He wasn't answering. And then I heard some voices, right? I, I heard voices kind of upstairs. So I walked towards the stairs. And as I put my first foot on the first step to go upstairs, I noticed, wait a minute there's about three voices I can pick out there, and I don't know any of them, right? There's three that I don't recognize, and there was one dude that I definitely didn't recognize, and I started doing the math and realizing, I know what's going on here. I called Steve again. He didn't pick up. I made my way out the door as fast as I could and started pounding on the left door and calling him, and sure enough, he opens the door, cracking himself up, having a good laugh at my expense, sending me to the wrong apartment just to see what would happen, right? And, and I love him. I forgive him. It's all good. We laughed about it. But, you know, why am I telling you that story? <laughs> why am I explaining this to you? Because Jesus could have looked at the condition of the world and even the condition of the believers in his time, the people of God, and had a number of reactions, right? He, he could have looked at the condition of the spiritual world there and said nothing, right? That that was possible. He could have looked at them and said and kind of done what my, my campus minister did to mess with me and, and tell me, you know, something that was completely untrue and just mess with me. But what he did instead, of course, was he told us the truth. He gave us the warning that we needed to hear. Why? Because he wanted us. Because Jesus wanted them. He loved them. And he cared about them. And he didn't want to see them make those mistakes. Jesus saw that, Many, for, for reasons we'll get into in a little bit, were wandering towards the wrong door. And they were wasting time running after other things and, and, and kind of having this risk of ending up in a position where they were out of time and they were locked out from making the right choices, making the decision to get on the right path, and they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. So Jesus, in seeing all of this, pleads with them, and he urges them. He doesn't want that. He says, make every effort to enter the narrow door. It's why he's pleading with them here. It's not to make us feel bad when we read passages like this, these these kind of intense warnings. It's not to make us feel hopeless, certainly, right? It's to hear Jesus' warning and understand that he wants us to make some changes. Why? Because he loves us and he wants us with him for eternity. Do you believe that this morning, that that's how Jesus feels about you. You know, I'm saying Jesus wants us, but it actually gets even more specific and personal than that, right? Jesus wants you is the point. He's not interested in in what everybody else is doing when he's talking right here to you. He's interested in you and he wants you to know. How do I know that? Well, look at the passage. This man asks, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus doesn't really directly answer that question, although he kind of answers it. But he tries to help the man and all of those listening, it says, about thinking about themselves, right? Not about some situation, some some hypothetical or some kind of big picture situation. No, he says it goes from, you know, him asking to Jesus answering them is the word. And then it gets even even further specific. It gets down to you, right? Jesus kind of transitions in telling them to all think about themselves and to hear this warning that many of them would be left outside. Why? Because he cares about you. He wants you. You know, for for a lot of us, maybe if we struggle to believe or if we wrestle with doubts, you know, there's a lot of Interesting questions that we can spend our time thinking about and even asking of God, and certainly we need to work out our doubts and, and the Bible says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but this is a, a story here where this man asks a seemingly important question and an interesting one: are only a few people going to be saved one one that we probably would want the answer to as well if we were walking around with Jesus, but Jesus redirected his thoughts, redirected his attention to think about the right thing to think about the most important thing. What are you thinking about right now, this morning? Right now, in this moment? And in your relationship with God, what have you been thinking about? For those of you who struggle to believe, there's all sorts of things, hypothetical what-ifs or what that we could think about, and they're interesting, and they're worth discussing. But Jesus wants to point out to you, as he pointed out to this man in the story, it's more important right now for you to think about you. What is the truth about your situation with God? Well, the reality is that God created everything, right? God created the universe, He created people, He chose people and sent leaders to them and prophets to them and the law to them to try to teach them what he wanted and how to live and how to have a relationship with them. And, and he did this for thousands of years, right? And he inspired men to record those things and to have those words set down. And, and he sent his son down from heaven to be able to show us an example of this is how you do it and, and to teach and to train men and to ultimately die on the cross for our sins and to rise again. And what else did God do? God continued to direct his people, to teach his people, to use those men that Jesus trained to teach and and educate on God's will. And he, again, wrote those things down and protected the words of God as he inspired men to write them. And, And now here we are with the Bible, right? We kept that preserved. God protected that so that you and I could have that. What else did God do? He eventually, you know, we're fast-forwarding a little bit here, but he eventually brought 18 people to New York City to start this church, to plant this ministry here in the New York metropolitan area. And maybe he's brought people into your life to build your faith, to have some conversations with you that weren't really that comfortable, but that you needed to hear, that I needed to hear, to change our lives, to help us know the truth. Or maybe that hasn't been your experience yet. Maybe this is your first time here this morning. And maybe God just worked to get you this link for this service. Maybe it just popped up as a recommended video and you clicked on it. And you're here in this moment right now listening to it. Not because of chance, but because God wants you. That's the reality of your situation. And that's the message that you need to hear. Jesus Calls us to make every effort to enter in the narrow door because He wants you. He brought you here this morning to hear that message. He loves you. He cares about you and He wants you. If you've been a Christian for 20 plus years and had a rough week in the battle, He wants you to hear that this morning. That He wants you still. If You are one of the almost 225 young Christians who were baptized during the pandemic, baptized or restored into a relationship with Christ in the New York City Church. He wants you. You better believe he wants you. Uh, With all the obstacles that could have gotten in the way, Jesus made sure that you understood he wanted you, and he wanted you to be here. You know, this warning in Luke 13, this urging, this, this preaching from Jesus It reminds me of Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. It says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Be immersed in water and change your mindset, change your life. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, some of you have been studying the Bible, right? You've been learning some of these truths about God wanting you. Jesus wanting you. And maybe some brothers and sisters have been preaching to you that you do need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins because they want you, just like Jesus wants you, to be in eternity with them forever. What are you waiting for? Why are you resisting this message from Jesus that he wants you desperately? Why are you resisting the pleading from Jesus and the pleading from Peter here? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You've got to make that decision. Jesus wants you. Jesus came, he tells us in John chapter 12, not to judge the world, but to save the world. That was why he came. He came because he wanted to save the world. But he also warns us that there is a judge. In verse 48 of John 12, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words which I spoke will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak in my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus came to save. But he also says there's a time of judgment coming. So what are you going to do about it? Our second point this morning is make every effort while you can. Make every effort is the warning from Jesus, but make every effort while you can, Right? that there's a time frame attached to that. That judgment is coming. As much as Jesus wants you, he knows that that window is closing where you have an opportunity to do something about it. And as a father, I've been learning about windows closing and and, and times of life and periods of life changing and kind of chapters being closed and new ones opening. I've had to deal with that reality. And I don't like that reality because time is moving too fast, even with my young kids. But, you know, I've learned their infancy is over, right? The time of changing 10 diapers a day and waking up six times a night or whatever it is. That's over, right? That, that's, that chapter's And Actually, that part of it's kind of encouraging. But in their life and in our relationship, there's new challenges that come, right? There's a new chapter, a new period with new challenges that come. A few weeks ago, my, my almost three-year-old daughter was swinging around a, a new toy that she had gotten the day before. It's a stretchy lizard toy. And she was you know, kind of swinging it around, walking around the kitchen. I was half paying attention. And sure enough, she walked up and intentionally hit me with it and in a particularly painful location. And in that moment, it was like time just slowed down, right? And and I almost feel like I had an out-of-body experience. And I'm about to confess my sin to you here. I look down and, and I swear to you, I don't remember feeling in control in that moment. And that's why I say I'm confessing my sin to you. But I I ripped that lizard out of her hands, and it was like slow motion. I just ripped it right apart. And a thousand, you know, styrofoam plastic beads just went flying into the air and showering down upon us. And again, in slow motion, I'm just looking at what I'm doing and going, what is happening? I look over at my son, you know, who's almost five years old. He's standing there like a deer in headlights, just like, you know, with his jaw dropped. And and I look down as the particles are falling and my daughter has about a two-second delay, and just, sure enough, you know, just the the waterworks begin, and she's a mess. She's devastated, understandably, weeping, and here I am sitting there holding two halves of of her brand new toy in my hands, and she runs out of the room, and I just sat down on the floor right there in shame, and I just, for about a minute, sat there looking at this toy going, what did I just do, you know, And, and my son went off and played. My daughter was crying on her bed, and my wife was getting the vacuum out and, and started to clean it up, you know, probably in silent judgment of what I had just done, <laughs> but understandably. And I kind of snapped to it, you know. I, I went into the room, I apologized, and I cried a little with her and told her why Daddy shouldn't have done that and how I lost control, and and she forgave me, thankfully. And you know, that may or may not have gone out the next day and bought her a new toy out of guilt. But that's besides the point. You know, what is the point if if In our Christian life, we're going to face struggles. We're going to have moments like this, right? Moments where we just blow it in our walk with God, where we do the thing that we know we're not supposed to do, where we mess up. And we got to believe that if we've accepted God's grace, the way he calls us to, that God promises to forgive us, just like my little daughter was able to. But eventually, and we don't know when that will be, this chapter of our lives, the, the temporary chapter of our earthly lives here, will close and we'll move on into judgment. And there, we won't have a chance anymore to ask for forgiveness, to approach God in the way that he calls us to, to make the changes that he calls us to, and to live the life that he calls us to. The way that we seek after God needs to be the right way right now while we have the chance jesus says that many will seek but we need to make every effort because not everyone will find jesus loves us it's why he gave us this warning but he's very clear to let us know that there's judgment coming and at that point it'll be too late to course correct so we need to make every effort now to enter through the narrow door while we can you know i remember studying the bible as a freshman in college And seeing how clear the scriptures were, right? As a religious kid that had grown up going to church, I remember that I saw the world can be described in the Bible and by God as people who are going to enter the narrow door and those who weren't, right? We see that from this passage here, the people in light and the people in darkness, those who receive mercy and those who won't receive mercy. It wasn't about being a good person or being a bad person. It wasn't about doing enough good things or knowing enough Bible. It was about making every effort to hear and respond to God's grace and to obey Jesus' teaching. And while that was clear to understand, that doesn't mean it made it easy, right? And we all can relate to this if you've made these decisions. It wasn't easy to admit that I had Missing pieces from my understanding of God and his grace and how to accept that grace and be made right with God through the scriptures. Wrestling through that wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to make changes that I needed to in my life, to obey God and do it his way. And it wasn't easy for you either. But you decided when you became a disciple of Jesus, if you made that decision, to do it because it was worth it. Right? The word here for make every effort is agonizomai which, who knows the pronunciation there. Uh, But it, it can be translated a number of ways, and one of those ways is strive, right? Strive to enter through the narrow door. It's another way to think of it. You know, that word in Greek that I won't try to pronounce again is the word that we get our English word agonize from. That puts a different meaning on it, right? Agonize to enter through the narrow door. Are we agonizing to enter through the narrow door? Jesus says that we have to do it. To the people who were already doing things the way that they thought God wanted them to, this is what he says, right? He, the people who thought that they were on the right path, the people who were seeking and expected to be let in. Jesus says, no, you still got to strive. You still got to agonize. And again, when I studied the Bible, I could see really clearly all of the ways that I was seeking God, but not seeking God wholeheartedly. Not seeking God in a way that I would find him. And if I'm being honest, it's difficult at times to maintain that mentality, right, to kind of reevaluate, reassess how I'm doing seeking God. And I bet I'm not alone there. If you've been doing this life for long enough as a Christian, it's easy to kind of, you know, get kicked into neutral sometimes and to forget, am I seeking God wholeheartedly? Am I striving? Am I agonizing? And it's a concept that we have to apply to ourselves as Christians all the time. Again, in our main text, Luke 13, verse 25, Jesus tells this description. He says, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Are we still striving? Are we still fighting? Are we agonizing to enter through the narrow door. You know, when we get to judgment, we're not going to just be able to kind of hold up our New York City Church of Christ membership cards, right? That's not how it's going to go. Jesus is going to ask these questions of us too. Are we being known by Jesus? And how are we living? We only have so long on this earth to build a relationship with Jesus and live the way he wants. We've got to strive for that. Paul understood this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know, Paul's got a message here that there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this, right? You need to run the race the right way. And our world, and again, the Christian world around us, hates thinking this way sometimes. But this is the truth, that there's a right and a wrong way. And it's about obedience to Jesus' teaching and following Jesus in the right way to live. And Jesus says we need to make every effort to live that way. Paul says, I'm going to make sure I'm not disqualified, right? He's going around preaching to others. He says, I better not help them out and make sure I'm I, I, not make sure I'm not going the right place. He says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Says he beats his body and made it his slave so that he's not disqualified. Too often we fall back into wanting comfortable Christianity. Comfortable Christianity already has a name. It, it's the wide door that Jesus warns us against. It's the broad road that Jesus warns us against. That's not the Christianity that Jesus preaches, and it's not the Christianity that we can believe in and practice if we expect to be there with him in eternity. We can't try to fit Jesus into our way of life that's comfortable, or our worldview, or our political philosophy, our social agenda. That's not how we do it. We fit those things into Jesus, and we adjust those things to match Jesus' principles and Jesus' teaching and jesus's way of life hebrews 12 verse 4 says in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood resisting sin living the narrow road right walking through the narrow door being a a good christian the way that jesus calls us to and following his will not reacting emotionally not giving into temptation fighting against prejudices or lustful thinking or laziness or opinions on sensitive or socially controversial topics that we may have hardwired into our brains. That's not easy. It's hard. And God acknowledges that, but he expects us to fight harder. He says, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's not just about resisting, but it is about resisting, right? Jesus calls us to make every effort. Part of making every effort is running in such a way as to get the prize, right? As hard as you can, as Paul says. In the way that gives God the most glory with what you've been given and how God has taught you. You do the best you can with what you've got while you can. To bring him the most honor. To join in victory with him. It's so encouraging to hear about victory stories. To hear what happens when people decide to live this way, to go from making some effort to making every effort, right? And and that's a different life. It's a different way of living. And I want to encourage you. You've all been a part of that. You've all been making every effort with our special missions contribution. I'm excited to report at the time of this recording, we've collected... For, I think, the 10th year in a row, over $1 million, $1,010,000 for special missions contributions. So go ahead and celebrate that wherever you are right now, because that's every effort. That's every disciple doing their part and contributing and seeing some amazing victories for God. What victories have you been a part of lately? What victories have you been pressing every effort to achieve with God, to win with God, to see done in your Christian life. Another victory for the New York City Church, seeing more souls saved in 2020 during a pandemic than in 2019. It's amazing. God clearly shows that it's about him, that when we give our effort, yeah, that's, that's great, but God will bless that on top of that and multiply that to do amazing, amazing things. There's inspiring things like this, happening all across your local ministries and your families across the New York and New Jersey area because brothers and sisters are deciding to be inspired by the fact that Jesus wants them and so they're going to make every effort while they can. You know, while it's encouraging to hear about these victories, it's way more inspiring to be a part of those victories. It stirs your faith and it it stretches your faith to give every effort and see God bless that. So I want to encourage you, go be a part of a new victory with God or or maybe just engage with the ones he's already working around you, right? The miracles that are happening all around you, jump in, dive in, make every effort. And as we prepare to take communion, we need to embrace this complex truth that while it's clear your effort does matter to Jesus, it's also clear that it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough to achieve what God wants to achieve in us, right? That that he wants us to be in eternity with him forever. We'll never be good enough, if even if we make every effort. But Jesus expects us to make every effort. And he knows that he'll make up the difference. Eventually, you're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. We're going to break the lizard, right? We're going to make some mistakes. But Jesus came to make up for that. And so Jesus can call us to make every effort. Because it's something he did in his life. And he did it perfectly. He was a part of a thousand miracle stories. He ran to get the prize, certainly. He resisted to the literal point of shedding blood. And in that sacrifice on the cross, he called out loudest of all, I want you. And then he walked through the narrow door. And he continues to leave it open for you and me. Let's make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Let's pray for communion. Father in heaven, we come before you humbled and honored just to be able to uh, go through this series and hear the words that your son Jesus spoke to us. God, thank you for preserving those words and giving us the incredible calling to make every effort to follow Jesus, to enter through that narrow door. And Father, while we know we're never going to be perfect on our own, we're so thankful That you call us to give it our best, to strive, to struggle, to continue to be the men and women that you call to be higher and to be more like your son Jesus. God, thank you for making up the difference in Jesus. Thank you for providing the solution that we could never achieve on our own. And it's in his name that we pray and reflect as we take the bread and the cup right now. Thank you for your son Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. In his name we pray.